as I mentioned at the beginning of worship today is the end of the series, The Time in Between. The time in between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, you might say it's just a series about what life looks like right now because our entire lives are in this time in between. And we're going to see Jesus take us here in Matthew 25 to the end. This is his very last recorded public message in the book of Matthew before he gives himself up to be arrested and tortured and crucified to take away all of our sins. This is the very last thing that he teaches. So Matthew 25, 31 to 46, I'm going to read the whole thing. Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed. Into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me. And I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. That's God's word. And just like the first two, that could be, can be, terrifying. Now, there is also eh, some, maybe a lot, of debate on what this all means. Okay, especially what Jesus said in verses 40 and 45. They're not up there, but let me repeat them. He says, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he repeats it, but says, Whatever you did not do. The question is, who are the least of these? Okay? Now, the most common way that it's understood, the way I've almost always understood it, the way I've heard it presented most often is, The least of these means people who are economically oppressed, don't have money, maybe don't have shelter, struggle to have food. Um, People who, like elsewhere in the Bible, Jesus uses the term the needy, like people who are in prison, people who need health care but can't get it, All, all kinds of of this, the ones who have the fewest eyes on them, who have the fewest people caring for them, the least of these, 
You might say the least important by you know, the majority of people. Things like that. Okay? That's generally how we understand it. Now, I'll be very clear. The Bible says very clearly, very explicitly to Christians, take care of people who have needs like that. Take care of widows. Take care of the homeless. Feed the hungry, like our church did this last week, and how it happens at numerous shelters in Rock Hill every single day of the whole year. The Bible says explicitly and clearly to Christians, do that. Do that. And it does not appear that that is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 25. Now, there's debate about this, but I'm, I'm giving away which way I lean. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. Why? Listen again to what he says. Whatever you did <clears throat> for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now, we focus on the least of these, but what about the least of these brothers and sisters? Who are the brothers and sisters? Are they just people in general who are the least of these, who are poor, who are economically oppressed, homeless, etc., etc.? Is that who it is, people in general? Well, there's a place in Matthew 12, Jesus' biological mother and brothers are outside of the place where he's teaching, and some people come and say, hey, Jesus, your mother and brothers are outside. And he says, now he, he, he wasn't abandoning them or saying they weren't related, but he said, oh no, those aren't, those aren't my mother and brothers. No, my mother and brothers are people who do the will of God people who believe in the same God that I do. My mother and brothers, my family is not biological, it's family by faith. Okay? Well, in a different place in Matthew, Jesus sends out missionaries, and he says, give a cup of cold water to those Christians, to those missionaries. So, let me ask you a related question. Do you or does anyone get in relationship with Jesus based on money? Either how much you have or how little you have. Is money, whether you have a lot or you have none, does that ever make you a brother or sister of Jesus? Never, never. And never, ever, not ever in the New Testament does brothers or sisters refer to anything except people who are Jesus' family through faith. Not once. So here, when Jesus says, the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, it, does not, it would be very odd for him to be talking about the poor in general, you might say. So who's he talking about? He's talking about y'all. He's talking about Christians. Jesus hides himself, one commentator said, he hides himself in Christians. Now, maybe why Christians in America today, why we typically don't understand this that way, is because we've, we've always had it pretty good. Like, it's hard for us to imagine, in America, Christians being the ones who their very existence hinges on someone giving them a cup of cold water or a piece of bread or rescuing them from prison or not. Other places in the world, maybe. But for the vast majority of us, that's not something that we're concerned about and we probably never have been. 
But back in Jesus' day, in the years after he taught this, yeah, Christians were the ones who were oppressed. They were the ones who were thrown into prison. They were the missionaries or the pastors or the churches that got shut down and taken hostage or put in jail. Back then it was. It was the case years after. Now, I want to give you the beautiful picture of people carrying out what Jesus said. Okay, This is verse 37 to 39. It says, The righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? They're like, wait, we never did that. And he says, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Here's the beautiful part. All those things that they did, it was unconscious. They weren't consciously focusing on the things that they were doing for the marginalized people among them. They weren't focused on it. They just did it. They just did it out of love for the people. I don't know who, I couldn't find who originally said it, but I heard this description of a humble person. Okay? <clears throat> Various people have said, if you come across a humble person and you talk with them, you interact with them, you aren't going to walk away from that humble person saying, wow, they are just so humble. That's not what you say. If you come across a humble person and interact with them, when you go away from them, what you say about them is not that they're so humble. You say, wow, that person, I could just tell they really cared about me. They were really focused on me. I could just tell they love me. And the humble person, is not even, they're not thinking about how they're humble. They're not thinking about their, their loving deeds. They're just doing it. It is unconscious. One commentator, he said, talk to a mother. Ask her how many diapers she's changed in her lifetime. And she'll say, I don't, a lot? I don't know. Like, she's not, like, whether it's one kid or more, like, she's not counting them. She's not keeping track. Here's how many diapers I change for each kid, and here's how good that makes me. God, do you see all these, all these smells? Do you see it all? You see what I'm doing here? No, no. A, mo a mother does not do that. They just change the diaper out of love. But when we hear Jesus talk here, and in our lives in general, I think you'll agree with me, it is very easy for us to get caught up in Jesus saying, the sheep and the goats. And it's easy for us to get caught up in thinking, man, who, who is that? We, like, we should identify who, who are the sheep in this life and who are the goats. And it's easy for us to get caught up and wrapped up in taking on the role in Jesus' teaching that doesn't belong to us, in taking on the role of the judge. Okay? It doesn't say when people, when Christians come in their glory. No, no, it says when the Son of Man comes in his glory. The role of judging and parsing out the sheep and the goats, which in ancient times and now, it's very difficult to tell them apart unless you're a very seasoned shepherd, it's, which is why it's Jesus' job and not ours. But it's easy for us to fall into that and to regress into sitting back and trying to identify the sheep and the goats, which then leads to arrogance when you see other people and you feel like you need to position yourself as in a better place than them, and it can also lead to despair, and you miss out on simply unconsciously loving people 
and giving them water and giving them bread because you're too focused on trying to make yourself look good. But not just look good to other people. I think that's too easy of an application. When you and I, because I do, when I fall into counting the diapers I change, so to speak, or counting the cups of cold water or the meals that I prepare or whatever it is, when I fall into counting it up, sure, you might say I'm trying to impress God or I'm trying to impress other people or make them feel good about me, but really, the deepest thing is that I'm trying to prove to myself that I'm worth feeling good about. When you do something good for others, it's so easy to fall into doing it so that you feel good about what you did and you feel good about yourself. Instead of just unconsciously doing it for them, which is the definition of love. It's easy to fall into that. I I would say I do it every single day. Which is why it's so good that Jesus said, the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your paycheck. Wait, he he didn't say that. He didn't say, come, take your paycheck, take your reward. He said, come, take your inheritance. It's so good that he didn't say, come take your reward, come take your paycheck. He said, take your inheritance. Why do you get an inheritance? You get an inheritance because you have a relationship with someone. You didn't earn your way into the family. You didn't do anything to deserve it. It's simply because of the relationship that you have. And in this case, Jesus says it is because of the relationship that you have with the Father, which he planned since the foundation of the world. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. You just get it. Take your inheritance. Now, I could quote the whole song, but I promised myself I would stick to these short sections. It's the second song we sang from this morning, Before the Throne of God Above. It says, One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by Jesus' blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. And when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, which he's not really lying about, like we have guilt, right? But what he points us to, he tries to make us believe that it's still there. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there. He who made an end of all my sin. He made an end of all your sin. I pray that you hear that today in faith so that you never, ever, not ever, look up to the heavens or wherever you picture God being and think, am I good enough yet? Is this enough for you, God? You never, not ever, have to think that. You never need to be afraid that you're not. Because it says, he made an end of all your sin. Your life is hidden with him. Jesus has purchased your soul. And he threw away the receipt. He can't return you. That's good news. Here are a couple applications from it. Okay? How, let's, this could be for all time, but let's just think between Thanksgiving and Christmas because that's kind of how this time of year is broken up. 
Okay, so how do you think of people? How do you view people that you're going to come across between Thanksgiving and Christmas? Maybe it's in the normal course of work or in your neighborhood or at home. Maybe it's with family that you just saw. Maybe it's with family that you'll see at Christmas or other parties that you might go to. Like there's uncomfortable situations. There's places you'd rather not be. There's things you're excited for. But how, how do you think of people that you come across between now and then? Don't even, don't even let the thought of sheep or goats cross your mind at all. Don't worry about that. Let Jesus do his job. Let him parse all of that out. Just be a sheep. Just love people unconsciously because Jesus is hidden in them. And love people not because you feel like you should, not even really because you think it's the right thing to do, Definitely not to, to feel good about yourself or to make others feel good about you. Just love people for them. Like with Christmas presents. How many of you have felt the pressure of trying to buy a Christmas present or make a present for someone? You don't have to raise your hands. It's 100% of you. If, you. if that's not true, I think you're lying. But what, what can Christmas presents become? Instead of just giving someone a present to love them, Christmas presents can become like you got to make sure that they know that you care this much about them by getting this expensive of a gift or this nice of a gift or this amount of gifts. Don't let Christmas presents become a way to prove your love to someone. Just let your Christmas presents be a way to love someone. Just give them as gifts to whoever is receiving them. You don't need to prove yourself. You don't need to prove that you're a sheep. You don't need to do things so that you can feel good about yourself or that others will feel good about you. Because like the song said, your life, it's already hidden in Jesus. And you can't look any better than he has already made you look. So, giving gifts out of love for people. That's what the Son of Man, the King, your Savior, did for you. God bless all of us as we do that as well. Amen.